Welcome back, Spokane. This is Ever Real Talks, and I am one of your hosts, Jessica Side. I am the other host. Hey. Nope, singular. Other host, Matt Side. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, we're so glad to be back with you today. It is December, and things are cold and cozy, which is always a fun time of year. Um, we, Love the holiday season. I know. It's a favorite in our household. It is a favorite in our household. Before we get into all the things that we're going to be talking about, which we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the history of Spokane once again, um, Matt, you're going to tell us about the featured, featured listing of the week. Yes. This week's featured listing is 2026 North Artie's Lane. Mm -hmm. That is in Spokane Valley. Yep. It is a three bed, two bath home. Mm -hmm. uh, Almost fourteen hundred square feet. Okay. It's all single level, single like level? all single level living, okay. which is pretty popular these days. Yes, it is. Uh, it is listed for three hundred and thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. Just a couple of details about it. it's a great house built in two thousand sixteen. Mm -hmm. um, this is the thing about single level living is it's a wonderful opportunity for those that want to age in place. That's kind Absolutely. of a phrase that has come out as baby boomers don't really want to move. Mm -hmm. Like kind of a final place to be um there is a patio off the kitchen with uh, like a pergola over the top of it mm -hmm. really cool uh it has a huge three-car garage attached to the house uh with this with ceiling racks that come down Ooh. so it's got racks for kayaks and bikes like if you go to the it's listing great. and look at our listing photos you can see all of the like the whole third bay is literally like outdoor gear and stuff mm. like and, and really well put together so even though you only have because 1400 square feet is not huge but the fact that you've got a lot of storage in the garage is going to be important i didn't do the math but the garage is a significant percentage of the square footage added on right it's not included in the no <laughs> just want to make sure everybody's yes. clear the house is 200 square feet no <laughs> the garage is 12 <laughs> Uh, let's see, it's uh, north of I-90 near the Spokane River at the Barker entrance. Mm -hmm. So a couple of really cool things. This is because I'm a valley boy and mm -hmm. I know some, some things about the valley. Um, that is a great, so the Centennial Trail goes right through there on the river mm -hmm. at Barker. It's a, a place that you can park and a place that you can put in for kayaking and tubing in the summer. Right. And one of my favorite memories uh, when I was in high school is that we snorkeled from Barker to Sullivan. It's a great stretch of the river. Oh. So yeah. we put wetsuits on and snorkel gear. And the wonderful thing about wetsuits is it creates buoyancy. So we literally, with our, uh, now I can't. Flippers? Flippers, thank you. Flippers. <laughs> with the flippers and masks and wetsuits, we literally just floated down the river. And um, nice. sometimes it was really shallow and a little rapidy. And uh, anyway, really great spot mm -hmm. uh, on the river, close to I-90 for access to so much. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think those are, it's got to open kind of a great room concept. Did you tell us so, the price already? Yep. 335 Okay. Excellent. Fantastic. So, well, if you want more information about this mm -hmm. home, uh, check out on our social media to see pictures and uh, there's a drone footage and 3D tour out there as well. And then uh, if you actually want to see it, you can reach out to us at 509-62-HOUSE or you can just message us on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. All the places. All the socials. Well, of course, when we get a featured home like this, I like to look into if we've already done some history on the area. And we haven't done history on this area. And so I have a little history lesson for us. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the purposes of this that's right. radio program mm -hmm. is to make sure people know about the wonderful aspects of living in Spokane and yeah. Spokane Valley. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, our intro talks about how it's, it's what makes us right. Our history is part of who we are. And, um, so 
here's where we're going to start. Because uh, this is in Green Acres, basically. Right. Yeah. So um, the Spokane Chronicle in June 21st, 1901. This is, this is a quote that's in there. The new town or village, which it may be, whichever it may be called, they weren't sure what they were going to call it, a town or a village, <laughs> will not be a mining center, nor will manufacturing be its chief drawing card. But fruit raising will give employment to its inhabitants in most cases. The developers said that they, quote, expect to make the barren Spokane Valley a thriving fruit center. A thriving fruit center? Yes. I, 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 again, this, just, this is the first thing I read. I was like, oh, we are definitely going to be talking about this. <laughs> so Green Acres is considered from east of Sullivan and south of the river. Okay. Okay. So yep. that's, that's what we've got. Um, they were platted in 10 to 20 acre parcels. Um, they enticed the Inland Empire uh, Electric Railway through there in 1903. Because obviously those are all, we've talked about this actually several times. So many of the places that grew up in Spokane, and I'm sure this is true for every city, you had to have transportation to those areas. And if they wanted to make it something that was connected to the rest of the world to be able to export, right. you needed to be along that the railroad line. And so in 1903, that happened. Well, and the interesting thing is it's not unlike the interstates now, right? Yes. Like I-90 is still a major yep. economic capacity for yes. Spokane. Absolutely. So um, their plan was to get, they, they had to, they had this area that was barren. It's even in the like advertising, right? That it's barren. They had to get water there. So they were using lots of different places, but the main thing that they were going to use was Liberty Lake. Because Liberty Lake is obviously really close to Green Acres. They started digging miles and miles of canals and they actually called it the Corbin Ditch because the Corbins were involved in it. So Corbin Park, right? That is the Corbins. Uh, we have never done a deep dive into the Corbins, so I'm sure we will at some so point. But they're the mining. They, they got all their money from mining, right? It, but okay. they became part of this particular uh, development with a, with a banker as well. So the main ditch was 34 miles long wow. to bring water to the area. Um, but there's what they figured out. Liberty Lake was completely insufficient for, for what their needs were. So instead of doing having that be their main source, they actually went to the head gate of the, um, the Spokane river at post falls. Okay. And you can actually see it today. We actually looked up a picture of this, but it's a, a gate, a big stone, not stone, cement, concrete, yeah. concrete gate that, oh, can that open. lifts open and lets water from the Spokane river. That's right. Into the ditch. So these is ditches in the, uh, at falls park in yes. post falls. Yes. Oh, which is you, a cool, cool park. If you have not cool been history. to falls park, you really should go. It's a great, the next right time along. my dad is in town, dad, if you're watching this, <laughs> we're going to do that. We're gonna going go to go to Falls, Falls Park. Park. You will so enjoy it. You've probably been there before, but we're going to do it again. Um, so here's the problem. They didn't, it was, they were basically, I don't know if they were dirt ditches, but they started to fail. So they started to fail in the 1920s and 1930s. Well, based on the image, some of it were concrete ditches. Like well, they see. weren't. No. Oh, right. In the 1920s, they made them into, in 1920s and 1930s, they started working on them and making them into cement ditches. I see, okay. So then they started doing that. But the developers, people were saying, wait a second, this is not our fault. This is the developer's fault for doing it poorly in the first place. They should pay for it. And of course, the developers were saying, no, you guys are your own, your own community now. 
So they had to, so that's why we have so many water districts out in the valley, right? Because they had to open those water districts up and then taxpayers, the people who owned the property, had to fix the problem that the developers created in the first place. Uh, Does it sound familiar? Of real estate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so really what the orchards, and we're going to talk about the orchards in a little bit, but what actually became more important was just domestic water supply. Not so much the supply for the orchards themselves. So let's talk a little bit about these um, this newly irrigated area. They became acre after acre after acre of apple trees. Um, in 1922, there were more than 1.6 million apple trees in Spokane Valley. Oh my And we're goodness. not talking about Green Bluff here, guys. We're talking about... Green acres. Uh, green acres. Different different how, place. How how many? One point what? One point six million apple trees. And the main road between Spokane and Coeur d'Alene was named Appleway. Apple okay. Huh? Isn't that so funny? All the connections. I know. Some I, let me pause here for a second. I've lived in Spokane practically my whole life. I have I also... kind of feel I kind of feel a little bit guilty for not knowing this history, but I guess it is what here, it is. Here's the reality is I bet almost no one that has lived in our maybe. age, at least. Yeah, maybe I, I mean, not. I wonder if my dad is. I'm going to call him today. I'm going to find out if yes. he knows why Appleway is it's called, called Appleway. Apple um, but it, it's because it was lined with so, so many apple trees, mile after mile. And it actually became a tourist attraction at one point. And it, there's a quote from, from a place that says, it was a sea of apple blossoms accompanied by a delightful fragrance. That actually would be pretty incredible. I know, right? Pretty incredible. Um, so they also had to have huge packing houses. They had to have cold storage warehouses because they were accommodating and shipping millions of apples. So those railroad lines were super important to the export of the apples. Hmm. Now, by 1925, the farmers actually started yanking out their orchards because disease, insect infestation, low prices, untimely freezes, and competition from Wenatchee and Yakima Valleys. Which do, they don't have those same issues. So because they're in a lower elevation, they were perfectly suited for apple growing. So um, the farmers started converting to truck farming. Um, so they actually, there was the Heart of Gold Cantaloupe Company um, became a specialty in the valley. In 1926, about 200,000 apple trees were, were pulled out. And by 1945, we only had 50,000 apple trees remaining. Hmm. So it, it took that much time, right? It took 20 years. And then a cold snap in 1955 completely killed the industry for good. Wow. So it was, you know, a 50-year run-ish. Um, but yeah, it completely died. But it still survives as Appleway. So, and Green Acres is the area. Yeah, and Green Acres. I mean, again. Good. Yeah, how interesting. I just, I think that it is interesting how communities grow and develop. Yes. I and mean, change they just change and evolve. And time happens and weather and mm -hmm. crises and all sorts of things yeah. that that cause a community to have to change the mm -hmm. way they do things. Yep. And most of the time, people wouldn't choose for that change to happen. But yep. Everybody that lives in Green Acres right now is very happy, and they don't feel the need to have apple trees. <laughs> they do not. I don't think they I mean, do. they probably 
probably people at Apple Trees. Now I'm going to now I'm going to be driving around the Val the Green Acres looking to see if any if there are any vestiges of you know apple trees. Here I'm sure or there. there's small small yeah. orchards here. Anyway, there, but. so there you go. There's a little there's a little history of uh, Green Acres for you. Well, surprise for our listeners and viewers out there. Mm -hmm. I also am going to take on a little bit of history today. I love which it. Which is unusual it is unusual uh i'm gonna talk about so we're <laughs> to use the phrase unprecedented times mm -hmm. it's been worn out honestly yes. over the last nine months uh but i was inspired to look back into our history and look back at what other generations have faced mm -hmm. and what they have had to do and the sacrifices they've had to make as a community, a small community, and even larger community as the entire United States of America to tackle those, uh, the crisis that that generation faced. Yep. And what I wanted to bring up, mm -hmm. and as we've talked about before, is the idea of the victory garden. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think we all have a, a little bit of a concept of I what that is. I don't know if that's necessarily true, that everyone knows what a victory garden is. Oh, I watched okay. a documentary probably 10 years ago, and I never I, heard know, about it in my life. Okay, well, if you didn't know about it, then most people probably don't. I don't know. Maybe Because you're kind of one of those curious people in the world. All right, so victory garden. During World War I, mm -hmm. uh, there was a food crisis that emerged in Europe, and obviously you had all of these farmers that were going to war and much of the land became battlegrounds. And so there was no place for the European, there was no European agriculture. And so mm -hmm. there was a massive, massive food shortage. And so it kind of fell upon the United States who did not have obviously a war happening on their right. own soil mm -hmm. to begin to feed Europe. So, um, in March of 1917, just weeks before the United States actually entered the war, mm -hmm. uh, Charles Lathrop Pack organized the National War Garden Commission. Mm -hmm. And basically, it was encouraging uh, Americans to contribute to the war effort by planting, fertilizing, harvesting, and storing their own fruits and vegetables so that more food could be exported to our allies. So basically, citizens were encouraged to utilize all idle land that was not already in an agricultural production. Right. So that would have been schools and company grounds, parks, backyards, and any available lot basically mm -hmm. to plant. Uh, the, the slogan that they had was, sow the seeds of victory. <laughs> and it really rallied the yeah. U.S. community around that. So I thought this was also really interesting. In addition to the men and women that were engaged in that, the Federal Bureau of Education initiated a U.S. school garden army mm -hmm. oh, okay. to mobilize children to enlist as soldiers of the soil. I love it. It was kind of the idea behind it. So as a result, three million new garden plots were planted in 1917. Three million? In one year? And more okay. than 5.2 million were cultivated in 1918. So that generated an estimated 1.45 million quarts of canned fruits and vegetables. Say that again. 1.45 million quarts of canned fruits and vegetables. Wow, okay. It was at the end of World War I when, it, when the phrase Victory Garden came into being. Okay. So it was not originated that way, mm -hmm. but that kind of was the, this is one of the ways that we can contribute at home to the victory in Europe. And I'm assuming that there there is some enlightened self-interest. If you don't know what that means... Maybe we'll talk about it another time. But the idea of, hey, we can sell our produce to Europe. I mean, we were giving them I, produce. I, Not I, sure. I, I'm assuming that there's some self-interest there that, hey, instead of selling the stuff to 
the citizens, if they will grow their own gardens, we can then sell it to Europe. But it helped Europe, and it certainly helped the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't, again, I appreciate your question. Not actually a historian, so don't know those <laughs> it's details. It's okay, it's okay. I'm, uh, but we'll have I'm to sure look it can it. be looked up. So now, fast forward to the Second World War. Mm -hmm. Shortly after we were drawn into that World War, Victory Gardens began to reemerge. So once again, commercial crops were needing to be diverted to military overseas. And uh, transportation was being redirected toward the moving of troops and munitions instead of food. Sure, sure. Um, so the numbers from World War I about to be dwarfed by what happened in World War II. So mm -hmm. with the introduction, let's see, so spring of 1942, Americans had an even greater incentive to grow their own fruits and vegetables because there was a food rationing that was happening in the United States. Right. So that's kind of like, oh, well, we better grow some gardens because yes. we might not have very much food in the grocery store. So in 1942, roughly 15 million families planted Victory Gardens. Wow. By 1944, an estimated 20 million Victory Gardens produced roughly 8 million tons of food. So putting this in perspective, it's equivalent to more than 40% of all the fresh fruits and vegetables consumed in the United States. Wow. Almost half of all the fruits and vegetables consumed in the United States were produced in, I'll call them backyard gardens, yeah. in these victory gardens. Mm. So what does this have to do with yeah. us right why now? Why are we like, talking why about Why did this I mass? bring this up? Jeez. Well, what I would propose is that the U.S. Victory Garden of 2020 is doubling down on our local businesses. Like, if you think about it, there was personal sacrifice that each family made by creating and tending a garden. Right. And... Because here's what I'll say. We have a garden. We have... Yes. We... we And, and it's not like an incredible garden. Honey, I'm sorry. My husband is the gardener. And he spends half of his weekends, if not more, during gardening season out in that garden. And it is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice because there are other things that we could do. Well, we and it's not even store. close to the production. I mean, if you're going to have the production that right. these gardens, like it's daily. Ten, like mine's a hobby garden. As it is a hobby well garden, know. but it takes up a lot of time. And so I'm just saying that when I when we say that there's sacrifice in doing a garden, there truly is. Well, and for sure, because they were relying on that as a food source for their family. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a weekend warrior gardening. Yeah. It was a daily thing. Yes. So anyway, the investment of them as individuals and families into that. And that's what I'm what I guess what I'm proposing for each of us individually is to figure out how we can sacrifice as individuals and sacrifice as families to help our local businesses. So a couple of things that are actually going on in Spokane okay. that I want to bring up. So Small Business Saturdays, we've only got two of them left. So basically, Mayor of Spokane designated four Saturdays at the mm -hmm. end of November and the beginning of December to basically just kind of bring awareness around this. Right. Um, starting this last Wednesday, uh, the Winter Market, so mm -hmm. the Pavilion Downtown and Riverfront Park. Right. If you're not aware of this, on Wednesdays from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., in the Riverfront Park Pavilion, they're converting that to an outdoor uh, market. And there's it's like a farmer's market and some food trucks. And, and again, it's all about helping our local economy, our local restaurants, our local businesses and stores. And I think the reality is, is A, it's going to help, and B, it is a personal sacrifice. 
because we can buy stuff on Amazon, mm-hmm. get it shipped to our house, and sometimes, and maybe often, pay less than if we were to buy it at a little local shop downtown. It's true. And the reality so, is, yeah. is that we have to make those sacrifices if we want the little shops downtown to stay. Yeah. So, so what you're doing is you're basically saying, we're not in a world war right now, but we are in a world pandemic. And to, it is a world war on some level. Yes, yes. But we're in a world pandemic. And what did Americans do during that time? I mean, we did a lot of things. But one of the things they did was a victory garden, which is not, it, it still feeds you and it's still a good thing to do. And it's not like you're, you know, you, you weren't in, a lot of people weren't in Europe fighting and losing their lives. And so, so I think that I, I hear what you're saying in that it is shop local. Mm-hmm is kind of our victory garden right yeah. now because these these stores rely heavily on Christmas to be the time of year yeah, that I mean, people this are going to be. Yeah, this is the season. Yeah. And here's here's the other sacrifice. It's not just your dollars. It's the fact that you're going to have to stand out line outside in line yep. in the cold yep. in order to protect the community from a sp- the spread of the virus by keeping a smaller group of individuals inside the store. Yes. So, so, you have- so when <laughs> we decide, eh, I'm going to pass by this store because I don't really want to stand outside in the cold weather, that, that one, by opting to do the opposite of that, mm-hmm. we are investing in our local economy at our own inconvenience. And it seems silly and it seems small, but how many people are opting to shop on Amazon right now instead of stand outside of Attica? And here's what I'll say. Some people have to, right? If you are elderly or you have health conditions and you can't do this, then you shouldn't do it. Or you can find ways to ask someone else to pick something up for you. I get that there are possibilities, but that's those of us who are healthy, who have the means because also some people need to save that $15 on that $50 item. Right. And I think that what we're saying is that if you can do it, do it. And, and it is a sacrifice. I know someone, and I just, I, I'm not going to mention who they are on here. Just, I don't want to embarrass them, but they were like, you know what I am because they had the means I am going to go downtown and I am going to, my goal is to spend a thousand dollars downtown. He, they weren't able to actually reach that particular goal, but that was the goal. And it was, it was, you know, he was like, I'll, I'll find something. I'll find something that I need. And I think that there's something beautiful about that for those of, those of us who can to help these, these struggling businesses. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, it, that what you said there reminded me of something. Uh, one of our best business partners out there is numerica credit union. And they bought $30,000 worth of gift cards to local stores, stuck them in wallets, and planted them throughout shops throughout the downtown and Spokane area. Are you so serious? that people that would just ra- cry. <laughs> so that people would randomly find a wallet, open it up, and it would be a gift card courtesy of Numerica Credit Union. That is just unbelievable. I'm sorry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> You got to tune into the YouTube if you want to have, see, see Jessica, Jessica stop. This up. is how I used to do it in junior high. Just look up to the ceiling, and then the tears go back inside. No, I just find that to be beautiful. I mean, and it, and it is a beautiful. Like that's what we have to do as a community. Yes. Is we have to. That's what I'm saying. Double down on small business. Make the sacrifices. Shop local. Utilize for for those that can't go pick up. Yeah. Uh, Treehouse something or other. We'll link it on our, in our show notes and on our website, but there's a local food delivery 
that that works with local restaurants. It's founded in Spokane, so everything goes to rather than Uber Eats, some big corporation. It's yep. funding Spokane's local economy. Uh, also, hashtag Order Up Spokane is uh, on Twitter. If you want to look for restaurants that are participating in that, just lists of in, of individuals that are doing curbside or delivery pickup, like restaurants rather. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole group of Kindle Yards just did something where they basically got several of their restaurants that are doing like a car hop type of thing. They've got special designated parking areas mm-hmm. and the orders are being delivered to your car instead of having to park and go into the store. Yep. And so um, uh, Verace, Three Ninjas, Nectar, Umi, Yards, Brunchin, Wandering Table, The Scoop, all restaurants, uh, Central Food I think is in there too all restaurants and Kindle Yards that have said, hey, let's do this together and let's help make it safe and convenient for our community mm-hmm. uh, to be patrons of ours. So yeah. I feel that spirit, like I feel that patriotic spirit that is how, not not like let's break all the rules, in, but let's figure out how to do it, yeah. you know, and let's do it safely and let's do it with passion. And, and respect and all of those things. Yes. Like we can do this together. Yes, yes. You know, there's one thing to just close down, shut down, give up, or a g- iron goat. I'm just going to give them a shout out. Like every single shift in what has happened since the beginning of this pan- pandemic, they have responded to that. Yeah. And I have great respect. It's one respect. of our favorite restaurants, so that's why we bring it so, up. And so we we're use aware it a lot. of it. Yes. But there are others that yes, haven't are. either haven't done it or haven't had the capacity. And this isn't about judgment, but this is about calling out an organization like Iron Goat that has said, well, then we're going to respond. If we need to eat outside, then we've got tents and heaters, and we're, or we're going to go get tents and heaters and make it happen. So uh, shout out to Iron Goat. Uh, also, the city of Spokane has free 10-minute parking zones Yes, uh, where you can just park, don't have to pay on the, the meters to, to grab stuff for takeout or pickup or different things like that. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, this is our victory garden. Yeah. And I want to just, I want to encourage our community in Spokane that I really am proud of what our businesses have done. And I believe that as consumers, those of us that do have the capacity, because I also understand that people in certain industries are in a really rough time right now. And so for those of us that are in industries that haven't been as directly impacted by this pandemic, it's our opportunity to step up. And And our social responsibility. I truly believe that. Totally. Um, I want to just mention also so many stores that we can mention. We did do a video. um, Our office did a video of downtown and we just went to a bunch of different stores. Dan from our office was just down there like looking at everything and trying to remind people these places are open. Even though you have to go through the Sarnak building to get to those places, they're open. But you know, you might live in the Spokane Valley and, and, and the downtown shops is not really something that you do. Make sure you are supporting those shops. Well, and I'll encourage you, put it on our Facebook page. Yeah. Like, tell us what's what we don't know about, and we can share mm-hmm. it. Like, like let's that. collaborate together so that more people in different parts of our community know where they can go and who they, who they can help. Absolutely. We have one segment left on the show. Yeah. And we haven't done it for a long time. Okay. What is it? It's called What's Happening in Spokane. What is happening in Spokane? I think a lot of people don't think anything is happening in Spokane, but there is stuff happening in Spokane. All right. So a lot of it is around holiday stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a 
new and uh, enhanced trail of lights in Riverfront Park. Oh, cool. Oh, I definitely want to do that. We definitely should mm-hmm, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a drive through holiday light show that is going to be opening up in Manitou Park. And that opens on December 11th. So the conservatory, I believe, is what it is. They used to have a light show inside of that. Obviously, that can't happen. So they, the friends of Manitou Park said, well, then let's take it outside. I'm and they took cry us, again. <laughs> they took a section of the park drive that's usually closed in the winter. Mm-hmm. And from details, December 11th to December 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sunday through Thursday, it runs from 4.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. And then okay. Fridays and Saturdays, it's 4.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. They're opening the drive up. They've, they've put up the lights. And it's going to be a special holiday drive. So... And it's, it's free, but there's a suggested donation of like five bucks to the Friends of Manitou Park. And please take a minute to give five bucks to the people and the volunteers of the park that have put this together. Uh, the Skate Ribbon yes. is opening up, obviously, with uh, diminished health, capacity. Yeah, health guidelines on how they can do that. You're going to love this. Okay. Um, some virtual recreation nights the city of Spokane is trying to put together, including board games, bingo, trivia, holiday yoga for friends and family. Sweet. Go to the City of Spokane Parks and Recreation Facebook page, and we'll link it in the show notes there as well, uh, because that's where they're promoting those type of things. I think they had a trivia night or something on the 1st of December, and I'm sure there will be more that's coming excellent. up. So all this to say, please, Spokane, we can do this. And if every single one of us think about what can I do today yep. to help my community um, not only will we get through this, but we'll help other people get through this as well. I like it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Happy holidays as yes. we enter the holiday season. Uh, we'll be back next week and uh, appreciate you spending some time with us today. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>